Thank you so much. Our scripture reading this morning is Exodus 29, verses 38 to 46. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour, mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering, as in the morning, for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amanda. Well, hey, it's good to be back. I was away last week teaching at a retreat and had a ton of fun. So thank you to those of you that were praying uh, for the retreat last week. It did end up going well, which is always, uh, it's always nice when the talks come out the way you want them and they're hopefully received in a way that you hope will also be awesome. So that was, uh, that was great last weekend. If you're new here, uh, my name is Matt. I am also one of the pastors here. And we're especially glad if you're here and you've been invited for the first time or if you're somebody and you're kind of new to the church thing, maybe you'd say, hey, I'm not, even, I'm not a Christian, I don't identify with what you're calling God's people, and you've been sitting here and you're like, wow, these people pray a lot, they hopefully raise a bunch of money and give it away. Yes, we are a people that cares deeply about talking to God, and also a people that cares deeply about being, becoming a more generous people to give more money away for incredible things that are going on in this world, and locally, nationally, and then, of course, internationally as well. So we're having a ton of fun here at Church of the City. We hope you'll come back and you'll continue to spend time with us. Every now and then, uh, if you've been here at Church of the City, you'll also know that we teach, our desire is to teach through the Bible. Not just to teach from it, but to teach through it. And every now and then you get to those chapters in certain books of the Bible, and uh, sometimes I land there and I'm scratching my head like, okay, what does this have to do with anything now? Like, how is that going to be helpful? You were maybe listening to Amanda read and you're like, sacrificing lambs? Like, what is this all about? What, what, are, what do we got to do about that? Like, God at the front of the tent, consecration, sanctifying his people. Like, what is this? And maybe you have been in the church a long time, and you've gotten to some of these parts of Exodus, Leviticus, and the Old Testament of the Bible, and you're like, this is really, really strange. Yes, very, very strange. Let's be humble as Christians and just admit it. There are parts of the Bible that are really, really weird, but that does not mean that we should avoid them. And what we need to do as we teach through them here at Church of the City is come to understand their significance and their importance because every single part of the Bible points to Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment. So you're going to hear us talk a lot about Jesus. I'm going to hopefully talk a lot about Jesus today as we jump in here. But what I want to do is I want to ask you the question, have you ever had somebody in your life need to serve as a mediator or a representative of you? Maybe it's you wanted to go to Costco, okay? You're like, I need to get a bunch of toilet paper or I need to get a bunch of something. And so you're excited. You needed to go to Costco, but you don't have a Costco membership. 
And so you're saddened and you're like, I don't want to spend the money every this year to buy a Costco membership. You know what I'm going to do? And then this light bulb goes off your head. I'm going to find a Costco person. I'm going to find a person who has a Costco membership. And so you find that person, you reach out and you say, hey, um, you going to Costco soon? Um, why? Do you want me to get, can I come along with you? I don't have a membership. So you go along with them and you go to Costco. Uh, if you have bought a house before, you've had a real estate agent, maybe that has acted as your mediator or your representative. You go through the, the grueling process of, will they accept my offer? Will they want more or less? Will they deal with my conditions? And this real estate agent goes and represents you. Uh, Andre and I, when we sold our first house, we actually sold it on Kijiji. So we had to be our own representatives, which ended up being a bit nuts. That's a whole other story for another day. Or maybe another example of a representative or mediator is you've got a crush on somebody. And you're like, wow, that person over there, they are just lovely. But you're scared. You're like, I cannot go and talk to them. They are far too terrifying. I need to find one of their friends to go and talk to them for me to exchange the message that, hey, buddy over there, he's really into you. Or, you know, now you're living in the dating age of, of what is now the dating culture. And, and what you'd rather do is actually find out a girl's cell phone number, or a guy's cell phone number. And you're just like, I'll just text them. And your mediator is your cell phone. Guys, get over yourselves. Go talk to the ladies. Do not lead into the mediator of a cell phone. You do not need that. Man up. Okay? Man up. Go and talk, but maybe you've done that before. Or maybe you're like me, and it was an MLB season game pass, and I didn't want to pay the the amount myself. So Pastor James, thankfully, I got his sign-in information, and then as the Blue Jays are in the playoffs, I can watch it. And James actually felt a little bit sad about that. He's like, oh, you're just using my game pass. But anyways, it's all good. I think, I think, I think it's all smoothed over now. But this is what I mean, a representative, a mediator. Now, as we come to the text in Exodus today, You need to keep this perspective in mind because the Israelite people at this time are in relationship with God, but the way that they're able to be in relationship with a perfect and holy God is with a holy man, or in this perspective, a priest. And so the priest was to serve as a mediator between God and his people. They could not go and hang out with God on their own. Like, we are so blessed that we're going to find out that through Jesus, we can all talk to God, have our relationships with him through our great high priest, which is Jesus. Spoil alert. But in those days, they couldn't do that. They needed to access God through another person. So as we approach this text, you need to keep that in mind. The priest is the mediator between God and people. And so when we get to Exodus 28, we're given this list of details of the outfit of what a priest is supposed to wear. So I have a picture and here is our priest and here is the garments of what they were actually supposed to wear. So I'm going to start with just a couple of the details of this garment because there's a, there's a few things in here that are really, really important to note. One thing that you'll note is the colors, right? Like you're going to, you're going to see this person's walking around. You're going to notice like that, that, that guy's standing out, right? But here's the interesting detail about the colors is that the clothing colors resembled that of tabernacles. Therefore, they were to embody the tabernacle pointing people to God. 
So these are not just random colors. These colors signify other colors of the tabernacle, tabernacle, which was the meeting place. If you heard a few weeks, Pastor James talked about that, the actual meeting place. So now these priests were actually to resemble the presence of God to others as well. So when you look at the details of this garment, we have the ephod, for example, which is a linen garment made of gold. Uh, it was a similar to an apron, a long sleeveless vest. And the names of the 12 sons of Israel were engraved on two stones that would be on each shoulder of the priest. And the purpose of that was so that the priest would bear the names of Israel as a memorial before God on their shoulders. So once again, this is a detail of the names are on the shoulders of the priest because the priest is representing the people before God. We have other examples of the breast piece of judgment and for making decisions. It was adorned with gemstones. There was four rows of three stones, which each had a name of Israel. So once again, 12 stones on the breast piece representing the different tribes of the people of Israel. So the people represented before a holy God. We get additional items. He's to wear a blue robe and to be worn under the ephod. There was supposed to be an imitation of pomegranates with alternating golden bells, which would jingle in holy place so that he might not die. So not only is it, you look on the outfit and it's like, wow, that's a really like unique like fashion outfit, like really making a statement. He's also got jingle bells on it. Uh, so that if he were to ever like fall over in the holy place, because like something happened in there, like the presence of God is in there, he's in there, he like tips over. It's like, we're not hearing the jingle bells anymore. Something has happened. Something has gone wrong. So every little detail, we get details about the turban and the plate on the turban. We get details of the coats, the sashes, and the caps. We then get details of the undergarments. Like the, 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 the bottom clothing, they're to be made of linen. They're to keep the priest from being exposed. Practical, right? And good. This is all about this. Now, it's important. There's actually no mention of footwear. They had to go shoeless. And remember when, when Moses, when God appears to Moses in the burning bush, God says, take your sandals off. The place on which you're standing is holy ground. It's a cultural thing. You cannot wear sandals in the presence of God. Uncover your feet. So this is the outfit, so that's chapter 28 of Exodus, is details of the outfit. And you're reading through it like, wow, like, I should maybe, like, get one of these outfits. <laughs> Probably not. Jeremiah actually told me that he <laughs> dressed like this at one point. So this would have been the perfect time to say, Jeremiah, come on down. Church planning apprentice, come on down. Let's show them what this looks like. We're like, bow, chicka, bow, like he's coming in, getting stoked. He told me that this morning, so we couldn't plan it out, which would have been awesome. But this is the outfit. Chapter 29 then goes on to tell us about the consecration process. So the consecration process is actually preparing a sinful human, a priest, to go into the presence of God. So this is part of that process, okay? The priests were washed with water from head to toe. It was, it was a spiritual cleansing, a physical cleansing. They were to be clothed within their garments, they were then to be anointed with oil to be poured on their heads, which was to show their set-apartness or their difference from other people. It would also symbolize God's spirit pouring on to a human person. There were then special spices were to be used for this occasion. Everything was literally to be anointed. And there, there were sacrifices that they would do. So physical blood sacrifices. And then what they would do is they would start with a bull. And the bull was their sin offering. So blood needed to be shed because of their sin or their bad choices. And so what all the priests would do is they'd actually all lay their hands on the head of this bull, which was signifying 
all of our sin is now placed on the bull. Like, it sucks to be the bull. And then the bull is slaughtered, and his blood is to be spread and go on to different things. They then were to offer a ram. So there's two rams, actually. Ram number one was to be a burnt offering. Ram number two is for their ordination. So it was a sacred meal for Aaron and the priests. And guess what? This entire process was to be repeated for seven days. So you're like, what do you mean seven days? Like, isn't once enough? Is it, wouldn't one time be okay? Like we did one ram or one bull, two rams? No, repeated for seven days. And then after they're consecrated, after they've been set apart, after they've gone through this whole process, then the regular practice of Israel was daily they would sacrifice a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. They would start their day with devotion to God. They would end their day with devotion to God, making sacrifice for the people. Now, why in the world is all this necessary? Right? Have you ever arrived at passages like this and just gone, this is so strange. Why is all this necessary? Well, Exodus 29, verses 44 to 46 says this, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. This is God speaking. Aaron also and his sons, I will consecrate to serve me as priests. Why? Because I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So why is this necessary? Here's the reason that it was necessary. The necessity of this process made the way for a holy and perfect God to dwell with a sinful people. Anytime humanity wanted to have access to God because of their sin, blood needed to be shed. Because God is holy and perfect. You can't hang out with them in in his perfect holiness unless you've been covered by a blood sacrifice. And so this whole process was followed so that a sinful people could dwell in the midst, with God in their midst, in the midst of a holy and perfect God. A sacrifice needed to be made. People needed to be there. Now, I already gave you a bit of a spoiler earlier, but you may be sitting there going, okay, so those people were terrible. I'm pretty good. No, folks, that, this has not changed. You and I are a broken people. Now, you maybe don't believe in God, and, but here's, here's my challenge to you, okay? Guaranteed, there are things that you told yourself you would never do and then you ended up doing them. So you had a standard for yourself, and then you were unable to meet that particular standard. What is that about you that brought you to that level? What is that about you that brought you to that process of, I can't actually live up to my own standard? Christianity steps in in its worldview and says, the reason you can't do that is because the core of who you are, you're a selfish human being, and that is sin. And in the presence of a holy and perfect God, a way needs to be made for you to spend time and to be dwelling in the presence of that God. And so how do you and I now spend time in the presence of a holy and perfect God? I mean, maybe you've heard Christians talk about this, like going to go and spend time worshiping at Church of the City this morning. You walk in, we're not sacrificing animals here, but we're just singing, we're praising in the ways that we're talking to God. It's very personal. I mean, you heard Jeff talk to God. The way, why I love it when Jeff prays is Jeff, Jeff prays to God the way that he talks. He just is talking to God. And you're like, wow, Jeff is like really like personalizing that. Like, how does that work? And what's with these priests? Well, here's how God allows us to make a way. 
is that Jesus becomes our great high priest. This is what it says in Hebrews 7, verse 23 to 28. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So at some point, these priests would die, which means that they'd have sons that would then need to become the priests. Like imagine getting into that family business. <laughs> That'd be crazy. You got to wear the robes. You got to be consecrated. You got to do the sacrifices. Like you got to be okay with blood. But he, this is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. Right? So remember I told you, sacrifices in the morning, sacrifices at night. Jesus is different. First, for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So here's the Coles notes of what just happened, okay? Jesus provides that which the Levitical priests could never provide. Jesus provides that which the Levitical priests could never provide. He is the fulfillment of this entire process. To give you a little bit of details of what this passage tells us, it tells us that he's eternal, which means he lives forever eternally. He does not end. He's still alive, reigning and ruling. So he can make intercession then eternally. It's not like we need this one priest to make intercession once for us. Jesus is alive, which means he, the grave could, didn't hold him, right? So he's alive, and he makes intercession for us repeatedly before God. Because we are a sinful, broken people that cannot be in the presence of a holy God, but through a mediator, but through a representative, and Jesus is that mediator. So he's eternal. He makes eternal intercession for us. He's perfect in holiness. Though he was human, he did not sin and therefore is perfect. He can take our sin upon himself because he never sinned himself. Otherwise, the death on the cross for him would have been punishment for his sin. But he never sinned. Now, I've gotten a couple questions about this lately from individuals, so I'll try to answer some of their questions here. Well, Jesus couldn't have been tempted then. No, Jesus was tempted. All of us in our human condition are tempted. Being tempted is part of being human. To act on that temptation is when it's sin. After we're done Exodus, we're actually going to do a three-week series on the temptations of Jesus. So get excited. <laughs> temptation is part of humanity. Giving into temptation is when we sin. Jesus never gave into temptation. And then what Jesus does is he takes the sin of man upon himself. As 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is the right living of God, the righteousness of God. He took our place. These priests could not take our place because they were sinful. They needed to kill bulls, needed to be killed for their sin first. For us, for Jesus, he took our sin upon himself, though he was sinless, to make a way for us to be in the presence of a holy and perfect God. Unreal. Therefore, Jesus was able to do in his life what no other priest was able to do. He is the better Aaron. He is the better Aaron in this passage. 
But guess what? It doesn't stop there. Because the Bible goes on to tell us that you and I actually become priests as well. You and I become the representatives between a sinful people and God. We can't take their sin upon ourselves, but we are to be a royal priesthood. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here's, again, the Coles notes of what we're doing. Through Christ, you and I have access to God. Through Jesus, we have access to God. You don't need to go to a priest to confess. You can confess to God on your own because you have a great high priest who is Jesus. So you have access to God. We daily offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices. We daily offer ourselves as living sacrifices. God, this is my life. I give it to you. Tells us in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We offer sacrifices of deed, mercy, and adoring worship to God. One of the ways we do that is here on a Sunday morning. Other ways is we scatter in our lives together, and we do life, and we focus on, on God, and we focus on doing good in the city we live in. We do good and share with others with loving sympathy and when service. Because God now dwells in us. We don't need to go. You don't need to go. Maybe this is like the part of Christianity where you're like, what are with all these church buildings? Friends, these are just buildings. These are just buildings where people gather. God is with his people. God is inside of his people because a great high priest has come and made a way for us to be in his presence continually forever. And then we're invited to be part of that priesthood, the priesthood of all believers, now, you might be sitting here and you're like, well, have you ever felt like you couldn't live up to these expectations and the role requirements? Right? Like, I read these things off. You're like, man, I'm really like, I'm really not very good right now at like daily sacrifice stuff with like my life. But guess what? There's good news. Because God doesn't leave us there. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And what Exodus 31 verses 1 to 6 tells us this, and this is incredible. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by my name Bezalel. If you never know how to pronounce words, just say them really quickly and everyone thinks you know how to say them. So I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work, and in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Ohaliap, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So the story starts here with priests needing to make a way. Right? We then know through the fulfillment of Jesus that the, those priests were to be fulfilled by the great high priest who makes a way. We're then called into the priesthood. But once in the priesthood, we still struggle. So follow the storyline. God then says, I'm going to give them my Holy Spirit so that they don't have to rely on their own strength and power. 
that my Holy Spirit will empower them. And so right here in the text, the Spirit fills them. The point being, we are given what we would not have had without God. We're given the purpose of the filling is to obey and serve God's people for his glory. And then a word about the gifts is that sometimes the Spirit gives gifts that do not seem sensational. Look in this text. What were they given gifts to do? Trades work. Tradesmen's work. They were going to be able to make all of the things that the priest was going to wear. They were going to make all of the things that were going to go into the tabernacle. God empowered him by their spirit to do things that were not sensational, but were daily, everyday things. And guess what? God empowers you in the here and the now by the power of his spirit to do things that don't seem sensational to others. So whatever you do, you might work in the trades and you're like, what, is, what am I doing? You are doing what God has called and gifted you to do by the power of his spirit to build and use your hands for the blessing of other people and to the glory of God. Regardless of what it is, if you stock shelves, your calling and purpose is to stock shelves to the best of your ability because the Holy Spirit has empowered you to do that so you can serve individuals and families across our city with providing them a wonderful experience in the grocery store that everything is where they say it's going to be and they can feed their families. You're called into that. If you serve in the healthcare profession, you're called and gifted by the power of the Spirit to go and to serve people in healthcare. If you're a mom and you stay at home, you have an incredible job of loving and serving and raising your children. That is work, it's an incredible opportunity. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to do that. So God empowers them to do holy work. I would love us to like bring on that like language. Like, what do you do? I do holy work. What that means is set apart work. Because I don't engage in the way that everybody else, I engage in a way that this is my holy work. This is, this is what I'm called. This is what I'm made to do. This is my vocation. You maybe see this as a way to pay your bills. I see this as a way to be set apart for the glory of God and for the good of people. So it's my holy work empowered by the Holy Spirit because I can't do it on my own. So you have holy work, but then God doesn't stop there. In the second part of 31, he says, so you can do holy work, but if you get caught up in holy work, you might actually start working to yourself and for the good of yourself and for the glory of yourself. So I'm going to give you something that's another gift and it's called holy rest. And what God does is he introduces the Sabbath. So this is what he says in Exodus 31, verses 13 to 17. He says, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. So he's not just saying, guys, let's just like hang out and practice this for like the next 30 years and see what happens. He's like, no, we are doing this. This is going to be done by you for the generations to come. That you may know for the purpose that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It's not your work that sanctifies you. I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Is it a set apart for you? Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Like, guys, this is serious. 
Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, this is crazy because twice in there it says you'll die if you don't practice this, right? Like, obviously, there's some seriousness to this. Because here's what happens in the temptation of the human heart is we don't stop. And you keep going. You don't stop. And when you don't stop, you begin to believe that my work depends on me rather than my work is actually dependent on the one that gave me the skill and gave me the job. So here's some words about Sabbath. Sabbath is a sign and a reminder of God's relationship with his people and his sanctifying or changing soul restorative, whole soul restorative work. Two, there is significant consequence for not taking a Sabbath rest. You and I know this. If we never take the rest that we need or to take the rest that we have been given— there is significant consequence. You know, in this passage, it talks about physical death, but how many relationships do you know that have broken down because someone started worshiping and giving themselves to their work more than to their relationship? So the death of family, the death of relationship. Three, work is good for six days and rest is just as good one day. So you'll remember, some of you will remember back when we did our vocation series and talked about faith and work and all these different things, that some of us in the room are like, oh man, like, work, I hate work. I don't want to work. Then on the other side, you have people are like, man, you got to go work. Let's get to it. I got blood running through my veins. I got to get something done. God says, no, work is good. So those who want to slack, work. Six days of it. One day, break. Rest. I love Eugene Peterson for the purpose of he, he never writes things that are easy to hear. But he says this about Sabbath. The work-rest rhythm is built into the very structure of God's interpenetration of reality. The precedent to quit doing and simply be is divine. Sabbath-keeping is commanded so that we internalize the being that matures out of doing. Sabbath-keeping is elemental kindness. Sabbath-keeping is commanded to preserve the image of God in our neighbors so that we see them as they are, not as we need them or want them. Right? Like, we just, like, sit and let that saturate into our hearts for a bit. The Sabbath actually changes the way we see other people because they're not things to consume and work for, but they're people that God has created in his image in which we can enter into relationship with. Wow. Now we will struggle with Sabbath, but the scripture comes along and it tells us something else. It says, don't worry, a permanent rest is awaiting you. If you're a follower of Jesus, Hebrews 4 verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What is Hebrews telling us? Christ, Jesus, is our rest, and heaven is our final destination. No more tears, pain, heartbreak, stress, and the daily grind. I mean, you're just tired of the daily grind. Like, oh, man, tomorrow. (laughs) Get a bad case of the Mondays. Office space. 
What is this, right? The daily grind. If you were a follower of Jesus, there's a final rest awaiting. It's eternal presence with Jesus forever. And he provides us the final rest. So, we've been (laughs) in a lot of chapters. There's five chapters to cover today. Let's do a bit of summary and review. This is on your sermon notes so you don't have to feel like you need to write it all out. We started with the fact that we are at odds with God because of sin. You're a person that maybe says, I don't believe in God. Listen to me. You are at odds with a perfect and holy God because of your sin. You're at odds with him. You can't be in his presence. You're not perfect. You're not holy. Number two, God the Father sends Jesus the Son to serve as our high priest and to make the final sacrifice necessary to restore eternal union with him. So we're at odds. God could have gone and said, no, get away from me, you terrible people. He said, no, I'm going to send my son who's going to serve as their high priest, who's going to make the way necessary for us to do life together because I love you and I have compassion for your situation and I want you so desperately to be in relationship with me. And then as three new beings, we are invited into the priesthood of God's order and family. So he not only saves us, he then says, come along for this incredible ride and be part of this incredible team that we get to go and see the world as a place to restore and redeem together. Do holy work. Do it well. But because we still live in these fragile bodies that will die, we continue to miss the mark. But God gives us his spirit to empower us for the work of expanding his rule and his reign on earth. Notice how he does that? First he like saves us, then he calls us to the task, and then he realizes that you're not going to have all that you need to do the task, so I'm going to actually give you more. See how generous this God is? But to remind us that our work, once again, we're going to get caught up in work, that our work is not dependent nor originated in us, he gives us Sabbath, the reminder that we need, that our work is not dependent on us, so that then finally, six, this is needed until we spend eternity with him in our final rest of his perfect presence. God makes a way repeatedly for his people to be in a perfect relationship with himself. Repeatedly. So here's what this means. If we go back to the beginning, we can enter Costco with a membership bought for us. You don't need somebody else anymore. You can go to Costco because a membership has been bought for you that fits you perfectly. The aisles have been made away for you. The samples are really now free. You catch that, right? The samples are not really free. You pay a membership fee so you can have a sample. But now you've been given the membership so you can enter into for free. We can work the real estate deal with the power of the agent. And we can approach our crush with confidence. I like you. (laughs) So it always starts that way. And then you go through the awkward phase of like, can I go to love yet? What's going to happen when I go to love? Are they going to say it back? You're smirking a lot of you because you totally know what I'm talking about. Friends, if you walked in here today and you were burdened by the weights of something that you're trying to carry by the burden of a relationship that is overwhelming, by the burden that I didn't measure up again this week. I set out last week and I was pumped. I was like, I'm gonna, this week, man, I'm on the top of the world. 
I'm going to nail this week. Sunday evening came along. Sunday afternoon. Oh, this week's hard already. So you leaned away from the Spirit and leaned into yourself. Or maybe it was news that you received this week and you were not expecting that news. Maybe it was a challenge. Maybe it was a a persecution. Maybe somebody said something to you this week that really, you know, if you're sitting here right now and you're honest with yourself, it hurt. It hurt. Like, how, how could you ever say that to another human being? And you're sitting with that hurt. Jesus invites us. He says, let me take those burdens away from you. Because I want to deal with them for you. To make it one better, I've actually already dealt with them. I'm going to give you my spirit to give you the strength to deal with whatever more is going to come. Why? Because he's good. Because he's good. This is a level of good that none of us have ever been able to experience. You know when you're like, how's it going? I'm good. That could mean like a hundred different things, by the way. God is perfectly good. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you more intimately than you could ever know yourself or any other human being. And because he knows you that well, he knew that he needed to make a way for a sinful, broken people to spend eternity with a holy and perfect God. And he wasn't willing to let you go and to face the consequences of your brokenness because he loved you. And so he made a way for a broken, sinful people to spend eternity with a holy and perfect God. And once we put our faith in that sacrifice, in that blood that was shed, we have all the access in the world to this perfect and holy God. So we actually don't need to go back to like groveling in despair, but we can approach boldly the throne of God because he's made a way and we are part of the priesthood. And we now go out and represent God to a people so that more people can become part of this priesthood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so good to be able to read your word that is gifted to us. God, this, this Lord, first and foremost, is not a, a, a written word. It's a spoken word, a word that you spoke to people. And God, you've been speaking your word ever since. So God, I pray that you would do this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do this morning what only you can do in the hearts of people that are sitting here today that are burdened under the weight of things that they don't need to carry, that they've been trying to carry, Lord, that has been driving them into the ground. May they recognize that a high priest has made a way. And I pray, God, for those of us in this room that are forgetting the fact that we are a priesthood empowered by the Spirit to do incredible things. God, I pray for those of us that are in fields of work. And we've said before that this is not holy work. This is just this. Convict our hearts, God. Remind us that what we are called to is holy work, set-apart work, different work than others because you've enabled and gifted us to be there. God, I thank you as well for the reminder of what we need, which is a holy rest. That dependent on us, our work becomes about us. But God, it needs to be about you. God, I pray if there's anybody in this room today that has never put their hope and faith and trust in you, the great high priest, 
that we would do that. God, may none of us come to the table today believing that we can be our own priests. We cannot be our own priests. We cannot make our own way to you. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way but through you. God, we are frail. We will die. But God, through faith in Jesus, we live eternally. We don't have to fear death because we live forever with you. So convict our hearts this morning, change us, remind us of who we are, our new identities, and send us out as a changed people. Amen. If you would like to spend some time praying, you can do it in your seat, but if you'd also like some people to pray for you and with you, you can go over to this section of chairs and cases and simply sit and pray with people. They'd love to pray with you. Uh, If you just need to take some time, Cam might invite us to stand, but if you just need to sit, sit. Do what you need to do. Don't let today pass without doing the business that you need to do with a holy and perfect God who's made a way. Amen.